You are listening to the recording of a live show. Please do not call or text as this is a recording and lines are now closed. A'udhu billahi minash shaitanir rajeem. Bismillahir rahmanir rahim. Assalamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. May the peace and blessings of Allah be upon you all. Welcome to another episode of, of the Breakfast Show here on the Voice of Islam radio station. You're listening to myself Samar Anjali Sahmed and we will be with you God willing all the way up until 9 o'clock. So if you do have any questions, any remarks, any comments that you'd like to make, please feel free to do so. The number for you as always is 0208-687-7878. And of course, you can hit us up on our socials on Twitter and on Instagram at Voice of Islam UK. Uh, if you are familiar with the breakfast show especially on Tuesdays uh, we usually speak about three uh, main topics uh, after the world news of course um and the three topics for you today um are divine love fashioning our life's spiritual journey that's going to take up up uh, until 8 o'clock um in the next hour we're going to be speaking on life on saturn's moon is there any such possibility that's the question we're asking today and last but not least Of course it is the 4th of July. Um and so we're going to be speaking about USA's Independence Day. So more on that in just a short while. Uh but before we get into all of that, uh Jalees, how are you doing this morning? Yeah, today this morning uh doing good. Um I mean the the weather for the past uh, week, maybe even month actually for the past past June uh has been really good. I'm I'm usually a person who, you know, If the weather's good then I feel like the day is can get by easily um so if the weather's good then Jalees is good if the weather's <laughs> exactly <laughs> if the weather's good then I know I know that everything I have planned for the day can go by smoothly of course when it you know when it when it's raining or when there's uh, some sort of um uh, weather issues that can halt someone's um you know timetable then that does become an issue but so yeah so weather wise I mean uh, it it is helping is helping with uh, with our um our uh, day-to-day schedule as well traveling and everything like that so yeah all yeah. good so far a, yeah a, a bit of rain today though isn't it but um but all in all it, it has been very good yeah yeah indeed i agree i agree um uh, across the across the the country then what's it, what's it looking like the outlook uh, up until about saturday mm-hmm. or so yeah so um today the rain uh, like you said it was raining so the rain will persist across the south during the morning but will clear to sunshine um and showers by the afternoon the rest of the uk will have a variable cloud and scattered showers uh moving on to tonight this evening we will see few lingering showers but conditions will be turning generally drier plenty of clear spells throughout the night and just an isolated shower where the cloud will linger moving on to tomorrow which is wednesday uh will continue unsettled in the north Uh, throughout the day patchy cloud will develop widely across the country resulting in a mix of sunshine and scattered showers for the rest of the day an outlook for thursday to saturday a mostly dry and bright start on thursday an approaching system from the west will bring rain for northern ireland into the evening and showers in other parts of the west showers in the north and the west of uh, friday drier and sunnier elsewhere moving on to saturday we'll see largely dry and sunny conditions for much of the day but a band of showers will be gradually moving in from the west so i it seems like the weather that we had um during the month of june um we 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 will start to see slight showers here and there um in the coming week mm-hmm. 
Okay, uh, but all in all, uh, not not too bad. Yeah. Um, yeah. the the temperatures seem 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 good as well. Um, moving on to the newspaper headlines: nine hundred million pounds fuel ripoff and flaming June. Um, many of today's papers focus on the high cost of living in the UK. In particular, accusations that supermarkets have been charging drivers filling up at the pumps six pence per litre more than they should have been last year. The Mirror says motorists were charged an extra £900 million on the forecourt in 2022, according to the Competitions and Markets Authority. The paper quotes the watchdog as saying, uh, and I quote, competition is not working, something needs to change. The paper is one of several which also features images from the first day of Wimbledon. Mm-hmm. Uh, the story also features prominently on the front page of the Daily Telegraph, which says supermarkets are facing accusations of using motorists as cash cows, quote unquote. The paper reports that the government intends to force the big supermarkets to publish their prices online to improve transparency. There's also further reaction from Sunday's controversial Ashes Test cricket match, this time from Prime Minister Rishi Sunak, who said Australia's tactics were not in the spirit, quote-unquote, of the game. Some 67% of the British public want a cap on supermarket prices to help during the cost-of-living crisis, according to a poll undertaken by the Iron newspaper. The paper, uh, the public reportedly supports Sunak's plan to cut inflation rather than taxes. The paper says in its uh, exclusive front page report. In its main story, the Financial Times reports that the watchdog has summoned the chief executives of HSBC, NatWest, Lloyds and Barclays to address concerns that savings rates are lagging behind the surging cost of mortgages. The paper says they are facing accusations of profiteering from rising interest rates. The banks are also forcing, uh, facing a Treasury investigation into claims that they are closing customers' accounts because they do not like the, their views on controversial topics, the Daily Mail, report, Daily Mail reports. Sorry. It comes after former Brexit Party leader Nigel Farage claimed his account had been closed due to disagreements with his bank, the paper says. The Daily Express reports on what it claims is another split in the Conservative Party this time over immigration policy. In its exclusive front page story, the paper says tougher immigration rules have been blocked by the Treasury, citing a senior Tory source. A photo of Sir Andy Murray also makes the front page as he prepares for his all-British encounter on Centre Court on Tuesday. Flaming June, quote-unquote, is Metro's take on what the Met Office has described as the hottest June on record. The historic high of 15.8 degrees Celsius for average day and night temperatures last month caused unprecedented fish deaths in rivers and is being attributed to climate change, the paper reports. Metro's front page also features an image of a busy Bournemouth beach on a warm June day. In the week, the NHS turns 75. Former Health Secretary Sajid Javid has called for a royal commission into how it operates, the Times reports. Javid says Brits are sicker than people in comparable nations as a direct consequence, quote-unquote, of the way the health service is set up, the paper writes. 
The Guardian reports that Labour is considering plans to boost education for under-fours, which include parachuting more graduate teachers into nurseries. More nursery places could be introduced in primary school settings as part of the opposition's proposals to drive up standards and formally integrate early years in England into the education system, the paper says. And the Daily Star carries claims from a leading brain expert that human brains are getting smaller and IQ levels are falling uh, are falling due to poor diets. Mm. We actually uh, spoke about this last time, isn't it? Not not just diets, but because of um, the uh, the technological advancements and because of how easy and accessible everything is these days. Uh, but if anyone would like to go and uh, back and listen to that, then they then then they can do so on our website at www.voiceofislam.org.uk. So yeah, as we can see. Um, many front pages are dominated by stories reflecting the cost of living pressures in the UK. The Daily Telegraph says supermarkets have been treating customers like cash cows, quote unquote, by overcharging for fuel. The Competitions and Markets Authority, Watchdog, found that drivers had been paying six pence per litre more than they had to between 2019 and 2022. It blamed weaker competition be- uh, between the supermarkets for the high prices and the fact that several of them had amassed huge debts as the result of takeovers, meaning their profit margins needed to be higher. Supermarket bosses said that other cost uh, increases had to be taken into account. Downing Street is said to be pressing ahead with plans to force retailers to publish their their four-court prices online, a move which the Daily Express calls a silver lining to the whole issue, quote-unquote. The Times has the same story, as does the Daily Mirror, calling it the £900 million fuel rip-off, quote-unquote. Uh, a reference to how much four supermarkets, Tesco, Asda, Morrisons and Sainsbury's, overcharged drivers last year alone. Uh, in its editorial, it says the big supermarkets cynically raised profit margins to fill their corporate tanks, helping to fuel the cost of living crisis. The Financial Times says senior politicians had been worried for a while uh, about interest rates for savers as opposed to borrowers. Before Britain's four biggest banks were summoned to a meeting about the issue, it says the Commons Select Committee wrote to the chief executives of HSBC, NatWest, Lloyds and Barclays uh, and accused them of blatant profiteering, quote-unquote, by squeezing higher profits from their loyal saving customers. The I says recent polling for the paper shows that 67% of the public want a cap on supermarket prices for household items such as eggs, milk and bread, much like there was in the 1970s. Some 1,500 people were surveyed. Uh, the Daily Mirror, uh, the Daily Mail, sorry, reports that the Treasury has been asked to investigate claims that banks are closing the accounts of customers whose views are on controversial topics, quote unquote, they do not like. The Tory MP and former British Bankers Association chief Anthony Brown said the practice uh, could have a chilling effect, quote unquote, on free speech. (coughs) The main story in The Guardian uh, is that Labour is considering plans to parachute more graduate teachers into nurseries to boost education for the end of fours. The Shadow Education Secretary Bridget Phillipson is quoted as saying she wants to see an early education on an equal footing with schools to give all children the best chance in life. The Daily Express reports that the Conservatives are split 
Over plans to reduce net migration in the UK, the Chancellor Jeremy Hunt is said to be resisting tougher immigration proposals from the Home Office, under which migrant workers would face an uh, NHS surcharge um, and an increase in how, mu- in how much they need to earn to qualify for a visa. In an article uh, for The Times, the former Health Secretary Saj Javid says it is now time for a royal commission to be set up to consider the future of the NHS. He says both Conservative and Labour now privately concede that the health service, which turns uh, 75 on Wednesday, is unsustainable in its current form and cannot cope with surging demand despite record funding. Um, so that's um, the, those are the newspaper headlines for the day, the front pages. Uh, Jalice, was there anything uh, in particular that, that caught your eye? Yeah, indeed. I mean, the last one, which um, uh, when we were mentioning the front pages, um, where it says human brains were getting smaller and IQ levels uh, were f- falling due to poor diets. I mean, that did mm-hmm. stand out. We did speak briefly about that. I, I'm... I like the way you recalled um, our previous conversation, which we said that um, said that uh, due to AI advancements or technological advancements, uh, it seems that people are are more likely to, um, or less likely, in fact, to you know um, uh, to use their full uh, faculties. Um, for example, if a person is uh, doing research, then it's uh, it's much easier nowadays to search online or even ask um, AI for a certain topic rather than actually going to the library and um, you know f- doing some research and using your uh, you, uh, being able to use more of your brain cells and your brain and your f- uh, human faculties that we have been given. So I it is it is um, understandable when we you know don't make use of um, our body or our f- um, uh, the humans, uh, the faculties that we have been bestowed by Allah Almighty, it does make sense that, for example, if a person does not go gym, for example, or does not uh, look after his health, and of course his health would um, deteriorate. And that also goes for the brain as well. So um, linking this with another article that I saw, on eating well it's um it was six foods which you should be eating every day for better brain health according to a dietitian and the the i would just like to share the six that are there so you know so anyone who's listening can um, you can know that these are uh, certain things that are recommended for a person to eat um you know for better brain health as well seeming as the news report has says that um, you know the uh, brain uh, health is uh, dropping quite. Uh, IQ levels are dropping. So the six which are in this uh, article that I saw, which is published on Eating Well, um, is the first one is leafy greens like kale and spinach, which are rich in uh, nutrients like vitamin K and E, which protect brain cells and improve cognition. Uh, the second one is lamb. Uh, they uh, they said that consuming lamb has been linked to better long-term cognition and fluid uh, um, intelligence. Third one is eggs. Eggs are a great source of, um, you know, I mean, they they do support brain function. Then we have salmon, blueberries, and walnuts. So these are six things which they they say that you know we should be um, consuming on a daily basis. Um, when it comes to salmon, like fatty fish. 
like salmon, which is high in omega-3 fatty acids, promotes brain development and lowers and lowers the you know risk of heart disease again which is good for you, obviously the brain and health as well uh blueberries uh you know these berries are packed with vitamins which improve uh blood flow uh to the brain and lower the risk of um you know of cognitive decline and then walnut uh, which is is it's uh, again it's uh, rich in omega-3 fat, uh, fatty acids and they help in you know um, in count, uh, counteract cognitive decline and reduce inflammation as well. I mean these these six things are you know mentioned for a person who, um, uh, which is they say which is which you should be eating every day for better better uh, brain health. Um, one thing which we should remember is that though these these six things are mentioned, we should remember that. Uh, Islam has also laid great emphasis on what a person eats, uh, what he consumes as well um, in his diet, um, where the Holy Quran mentions where we should, and this this has been mentioned uh, many times as well, but where the Holy Quran has uh, been mentioned on this uh, on 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 our um, break, on the breakfast show, but where where the Holy Quran mentions that someone should be or a person, a Muslim should eat. That which is lawful to him, it also makes it clear that he should also be eating, which is uh, that which is tayyub, and tayyub, um, which is the Arabic word, which can be translated to pure. Uh, when it comes to a person's diet, um, it can vary from person to person. When uh, when it comes to that which is pure for them, obviously God Almighty has exp- uh, explained those foods which are permissible to eat and has gone a step further saying that we should eat that which is tayyab. Now, tayyab, pure, can be, for example, a person who is, let's say, allergic to walnuts or eggs, though it is mentioned in this that we should be eating this every day. We should remember that those people who are allergic to certain foods, in this scenario, those foods will not be pure or in Arabic, as we say tayyab, it will not be tayyab for them. And in uh, in such a scenario, it would be you know though it is lawful for them, but I mean because they know that their body reacts in a certain way, thus they should not be eating that, and they can um, you know have something else. So when it comes to eating healthy, though we find many articles online, I always find myself reflecting back to the teachings of Islam, where Islam has um, prioritized health um, on in various places of the Holy Quran and has you know very clearly explained those things which are lawful for us and again and has, has told us to ponder over those things which are uh, pure for us to eat as well um so i think just linking this to what we um the the article that we read was about human brains which are getting smaller and the iq levels which are falling due to poor diets so the key word over here is obviously poor uh, poor diets um if a person looks after his diet um, as 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 is stated, obviously in within the Holy Quran as well, that we should looking we should be looking after the things that we consume on a daily basis. Um, we should be uh, we should we should make sure that we also go for those things which are tayyib for us, which are good for our health, overall health, and of course for our brain as well. Most certainly, uh, beautifully put there. Uh, thank you for that. Um, just quickly, one more article, I think, before we move on to our first main segment. France riots. Uh, within days, we were in hell, says uh, the mayor over there. 
Bakhtiari says he hasn't slept more than three hours a night since the riots in France began a week ago. By day, he's the mayor of uh, Newly Sarman uh, in one of uh, France's poorest uh, areas, east of Paris. Uh, by night, he patrols the streets with a dozen uh, staff uh, and city councillors until 4 or 5 a.m., acting as an early warning system for police taking on the rioters there. Um, and uh, he says, uh, quote-unquote, within days we were in hell. Um, and on Tuesday, today, he'll head to Elysee Palace uh, with more than 200 other mayors to discuss the crisis with French uh, President Emmanuel Macron. Uh, his request is for more toughness, quote-unquote, from the state uh, and permission for the local city police to use drones to monitor activity in the town. Um, he says what's happening now is a result of years of weakness from politicians and decisions that have not been taken. And he goes on to say that it's a problem of authority because these rioters don't fear justice. They may go to court, but they come back home a few hours after trial simply because we don't have enough places in jail in the district, district of Paris. We cannot support this kind of weakness from a state, from the state, quote unquote. Uh, just outside his uh, office uh, in the town hall is the charred wall of the local city police station. Um, they jumped over this wall at 1 a.m. Uh, with a jerrican of petrol, um, quote unquote, says uh, Mayor Bakhtiari. Um, and he explains gesturing the, to, to the fleet of seven charred squad cars, the ashen skeletons lined up beneath the blackened facade. Um, but the building was shared with the public housing department tasked with finding homes for 2,300 local people. And inside, the office is a carbonized shell of melted plastic and ash. Uh, not all the paper files were digitized. The details of many of those uh, of those most desperate for housing here uh, have been wiped from the records by the fire as well. So obviously, it's a very sorry uh, state that we can see over there. Um, just just quickly before we move uh, on to, to 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 our first main segment, like I said, um, Jalice, what does Islam teach us um, about rioting and about? Uh, I mean, what we're seeing over there in in France, is this something which is uh, justifiable? Is this something which is correct in the uh, eyes of Islam? Or uh, I mean, what what does it teach us? What does our, our faith teach us in this regard? Yeah, I mean, in Islam, uh, well, Islam, if we look at the meaning of Islam, it means peace. So anything which goes against peace is obviously something that Islam, you know, does not promote when it comes to uh, riots or when it comes to, I mean, often we see even on the news or we see on, you know, just on uh, a day-to-day basis where people go out to riot, it's, there's always a a sense of um uh, there there is there is like chaos there are uh, people uh you know maybe breaking the law or you know committing you know certain things which go against keeping the peace in the society and this is something which islam says that you know it, it encourages and it explains to muslims um, why it is important to keep the peace. So anything that goes opposite to um, what Islam teaches, which is a very peaceful religion, is something which um, um, is something which is not likened um, not not uh, likened in Islam. Now the, uh, the the another question is where we see certain riots take place in this day and age. Um, we have to remember that. As a as a as a Muslim who 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 believes in the Holy Quran, who believes in the Holy Prophet, who believes in the 
teachings of Islam, which is the peaceful teachings of Islam, when we see certain things that happen around the world, it only reminds us that we are in the world is in dire need to you know wake up and and uh, you know see or uh, you know understand the true and peaceful teachings which Islam uh, promotes because Islam is such a it's such a uh, uh, universal religion where if every everyone was to act upon it then certain things in society where we see things go wrong would not in, would not actually go wrong so when it comes to writing Islam is um, uh, when it comes to writing in in such a manner where it disturbs the peace. This is something Islam is completely against. Yeah, yeah, most certainly, most certainly. Yeah, with that, uh, we are going to go to our first uh, main segment, uh, just because we do have a lot to cover. Just as a quick reminder for you, we're speaking about divine love, uh, fashioning our life spiritual journey in this hour. Um, and uh, after the 8 o'clock news we're going to be speaking about life on Saturn's moon is there any such possibility and last but not least of course it is the 4th of July we'll be speaking about how uh, USA is celebrating their Independence Day and speaking about uh, Independence Days um, as a whole as well um, In your, uh, uh, is your heart searching for something or someone to cling on to have you ever felt your hope diminishing and feeling as if you have no one to ask or seek from? In those times, just remember that God loves you, unconditionally at that as well. Through this segment, we'll be exploring ways in which divine love forms an indispensable facet of our existence and how all of us, irrespective of religion, creed or ethnicity, can fashion our life's own spiritual journey. So this is what we're going to be speaking about uh, now up until the 8 o'clock news. Uh, and if anyone would like to get involved in the conversation and in the discussion, please feel free to do so. The number for you, as always, is 0208-687-7878. And of course, like I mentioned earlier, you can tweet us or leave your comments on our Instagram page at Voice, Voice of Islam UK. Um, so the first thing we want to cover in this topic is how do the various major religions teach their followers about divine love? So different religions in the world teach the followers about divine love through various different ways, of course. And for example, Christianity, um, the divine love is shown through the aspect of Jesus upon whom be peace and through the teachings of the Bible. Um, in the religion of Islam, the divine love is taught through the material and advanced world of today. One of the main uh, concepts of teaching the divine love is through the successorship of Islam and the way that he has a unique and divine love with his Lord. This is a similar. Um, this is similar in the other religions as well. If we turn to the Holy Quran in chapter three, verse uh, um, verse thirty-six, uh, we see that it says, "Say, if you love Allah, then love me and follow me." And of course, this is speaking about the Holy Prophet Muhammad, may the peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. And it goes on to say that, "Say that, and Allah will love you." So if we want nearness to our Creator, to our Lord, then Allah the Almighty has given us this key in which He uh, explains to us that for, for you to love me, it is first essential that you love the Holy Prophet of Islam, Muhammad, may the peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, and through loving him and doing the things that he did within his daily life and uh, incorporating that within our lives, that is when we will be able to attain the nearness of our Creator and our Lord as well. One of the often um, 
recited prayers of the Holy Prophet Muhammad, may the peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, which not only shows how much he loved Allah, but also how much he longed for the love of Allah, is, O Allah, grant me thy love, and the love of those who love thee, and the love of those deeds which enable me to attain thy love. O Allah, make thy love dearer to me than my life, my family, and dearer to me than cold refreshing water to a man dying of thirst. I mean, such a beautiful prayer this is, isn't it, Jalees? In which Allah, the, uh, the Holy Prophet Muhammad, may the peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, he would often uh, recite this prayer and and want to attain even uh, closer a relationship with his creator, with uh, with his Lord. And this is something that we need to do uh, in our lives as well. Indeed. That not only do we pray for his love, but we also pray for the love of those people who love him. Yeah. And also the love of those people who Allah the Almighty himself loves. Yeah. And this is also another um, teaching of the of of Islam that kunuma sadikin that stay in the in the company of the righteous people of the mm. truthful people, um, and when we do that, then of course we will be uh, bettering ourselves as well. Indeed, indeed. I mean, another point to mention as well, you know, very beautifully put as well. But with one point uh, mentioned in this prayer is that the Holy Prophet also. Um, asks for God's guidance in doing those deeds which are which can attain God's love as well. So this is something Islam emphasizes as well. It's not um, just a um, uh, it's not it's 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 a re- Islam is basically a religion which uh, cr- helps you create a bond with God and also it it shows you the 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 things or the the deeds that one should do to attain God Almighty's love. It is not possible for a person to sit down idly and just uh, you know uh, just just keep uh, praying to uh, just to keep saying to God that our oh, love, please grant me your love. One person should also go out there, you know, do those deeds where one person is able to gain God Almighty's love. And one of the deeds that Islam teaches us is that we should also be looking after the rights of mankind as well. And those are those are certain deeds where we can attain God's love as well. And um, just the just the last point. I mean, uh, the, because the the prayer is so beautiful mm-hmm. that the last point where it says, um, you know, that. Uh, where it mentions the cold, refreshing water. Um, this is in the in the Arabic. The it's 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 ma al barid, which means that um, a, that uh, the, a a scenario is when 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 a person hears the hadith or when he, when a person hears these words, a scenario is is drawn to one's mind where a person who is out in the heat and is you know searching for maybe uh he is wandering in the heat and finally finds cold refreshing water and now at that time a person who is wandering in the heat and finds cold refreshing water that is the probably the best thing mm-hmm. that a person who is outside who, who uh, that they can um find and uh, the holy prophet has you know drawn this um uh, has has drawn this picture in our mind and says that uh, may allah almighty's love be dearer to him than even cold, refreshing water. I mean, it's such a beautiful hadith, and the more a person ponders over it, the more they understand the the deep uh, desire and love the Holy Prophet had for attaining the a strong connection with Allah Almighty and divine love. 
Most certainly. Uh, beautifully put there, Zakla. Thank you for that. Uh, we are going to be moving on to our first guest for the show. We do have with us on the line Mark Woods, uh, who is a Christian minister and he works as head of communications for Bible Society. Assalamualaikum, peace be upon you. Good morning and welcome to the breakfast show. Good morning. Thank you for having me here. You're very welcome and thank you for being with us. We're speaking about a very important topic, um, uh, divine love, fashioning our life's spiritual journey. We touched on uh, Christianity, spoke a little bit about about Islam. We we are yet to cover Sikhism, Hinduism and maybe a few more if time permits. Um, But of course, um, uh, we wanted to get a bit more uh, information from you in regards to divine love uh, in Christianity. So the first question that we wanted to ask you was, how does this concept uh, influence and shape our understanding of life? Yeah, it, it, it's a great question and it's such an important um, important subject. Um, in, in Christian thinking, God cannot be known until he actually makes himself known. So there is this idea of revelation, um, of God descending to our level and making himself comprehensible. And um, uh, we think this happens in in two ways, really, uh, and both are called the Word of God. So uh, there is the Scripture, um, what we call the Old Testament and the New Testament, and there is Jesus, who is also called the Word of God, and and God reveals himself in him, in what he did and what he said. Um, There's one Christian writer who asks us to imagine a a, a tree, and um, when you cut the tree down, you see a cross-section of the tree, but, but you know that the tree is, is like that all the way up. And um, so it's possible to imagine Jesus as a sort of cross-section of God. And, uh, and God reveals himself as a God of love. Um, in one of the, the letters in the New Testament, it, it says, whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. And uh, it also says we love because he first loved us. So for us, the idea of divine love is central to the idea of knowing God. It's absolutely key. And and knowing God means knowing more about God's love um, and how that affects us and how we are to take that idea uh, and apply it in the world. So um, knowing that God loves us means that we need to love other people. And um, discipleship, um, uh, the the Christian pathway, means working that out and knowing how that affects our life in the world. Mm -hmm. Most definitely. I mean, in Islam as well, we believe that uh, Allah the Almighty has has so many attributes and he has fashioned man um, in accordance with those. And so whenever we, there's actually a commandment of the Holy Quran as well, that's Sibirat Allah, that we should adopt the the attributes of God Almighty within our own spheres of life. So if God is merciful, then we also need to be merciful to to mankind. If he is uh, forgiving, then of course, we also need to be like that as well. So that's, that's beautifully put there in regards to love and um, yes. um, uh, mark could you please uh if you don't mind share a time when you've personally experienced mm-hmm. divine love and how that's inspired or, or even impacted you yeah yeah um I, I think it's possible to have really intense um emotional experiences of god's love um perhaps in a gathering for worship and 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 that has certainly happened to me um when you are caught up in uh in music or in prayer um 
and and that has happened to me. But for me, it's it's it's, it's a little bit rare um, because I, I think I have a a slightly cooler temperament. Um, but I, I uh, remember, you know, when I was younger, listening to great preaching as I was growing up in church, and and almost feeling my mind expanding. And um, I, I take that as a gift from God to me. Um, and certainly, when I'm when I'm reading the Bible uh, now, um, if I if I read particular Psalms or if I read some of the stories of Jesus, um, it, it has an intense effect on me because I I feel that as as truth as God speaking directly to me. Um, so that's 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 one thing. Um, I think um, em- emotion is is a gift from God, and we can experience him in that way. Um, but there, there are other things which are less, um, I don't know, less intense, less exciting, really, but which are still, uh, I think, revelations of divine love. Uh, for instance, I think most people my age, and I'm, I'm now in my early 60s, um, but most people my, my age have known their share of personal tragedies, family tragedies. Things have not always gone well. But at, at low points, I have always had this sense of being held. Um, I've always had this sense that, um, you know, my life is not over, that God always has a future for me. Um, and for me, that is a way in which I think that God is speaking to me. Uh, that's a way in which I am experiencing his love. And that's really important for me. Mm-hmm. No, no, most definitely, definitely. Yeah. Um uh, and lastly, what are some of uh, some common misconceptions or even challenges that people encounter when trying to progress this spiritual journey? Of course, it can be mm-hmm. a, an extremely difficult task. So, how can we actually overcome them? Yeah, um, I think what, one thing that people sometimes think when they're, they're thinking about the spiritual journey, when they're thinking about trying to uh, to walk in God's ways, to become closer to God is that they, they think it's easy, you know, they, they think it's quick. Um, and and we like to think that we know more than we know. Um, we can listen to sermons, we can read books, we can memori- memorize huge chunks of Scripture. Um, but the real question that, that God asks of us is, is what is your heart like? Um, how are you yourself being changed through what you read or through what you hear? And that is a lifelong journey. Um, and I think we have to take one step at a time. We we pray even when we don't feel like it. We read the scriptures when we don't feel like it. Um, you can't always trust your feelings, but you can develop patterns of life that God will use to bless you. So I think that, you know, the one thing that I'd say in answer to your question is that discipleship, following in the ways of God is a lifelong thing and there are no shortcuts yeah uh, most certainly I mean uh, with anything that we need to uh, that we want to acquire uh, of course it it does take a a lot of hardship Um, but like you mentioned it's essential that we that we keep at it uh, and we we don't give up Uh, it's it's not to despair if we're we're not feeling too up for it on a particular day or whatever we should still continuously um, read the Holy Scriptures and and, and, and attain a a nearness and closeness to our Creator as well Um, thank you uh, Mark for, for, for being with us for answering our questions uh, and we hope you have a wonderful day ahead as well 
Thanks very much indeed. Good to be with you. Likewise. Thank you. Bye-bye. 0208-687-7878 is the number for you. That was Mark Woods, who is a Christian minister, uh, and he works as Head of Communications for Bible Society. Just to, uh, um, uh, quickly before we move on to our next guest, maybe. Um, divine love in Sikhism. Uh, so the holy book of Sikhism uh, is the Guru Granth Sahib. The first character of, his, of this holy book is the numeral one. This means that all that exists is one, whether someone calls him God, Allah, Ram, or by any other name. There is nothing except him. Everything and everyone we see is a manifestation of God's power, albeit in various shapes and forms. God manifests unconditional love. It's up to us whether we are able to recognize that love or not. And in Hinduism, divine love um, is prema, which can be described as a pure form of love. According to Bhagavad Gita, God loves human beings impartially as uh, he is the most benevolent. This uh, divine love responds to the needs of people and brings them out of suffering. Um, If we move on to the uh, benefits of um, divine love, we see that divine love enables one to feel closer to the religion. It imbues a sense of uh, belonging and helps them search for a purpose in their life. Um, it provides a feeling of safety and protection. Um, you know, divine love it enables you, a person to feel that God is you know, looking after them, uh, that He is there to protect them. Um, this is, in fact, you know, ties in with you know emotions of loneliness. At times, one may feel lonely and you know feel as if. They have no one to turn to, and at, at but at these sort of moments, they should you know one should remember that the power of turning towards God is you know is it's it's immense. Um, this you know reminds me of a um a a question once um, that was asked to a to a it's a, it's a I believe it's a it's a um an often quoted um, uh, matter that people really uh, speak about is that. When we see that a person asked a, uh, another person who who prayed a lot, um, he he would say that um, that what have you gained from from you just spent your whole life praying? Uh, what have you gained? And in response, the uh, the religious person has said that, of course, I uh, you know I have spent most of my life in in uh, worship. Um, and what I have gained from this is comfort and ease in life. Um, of course, uh, uh, as well as establishing a relationship with um, God Almighty as well. So that's why it's important for us to remember that you know we can uh, that there's a lot to gain through r- the remembrance of God Almighty. Um, moving on, we do have a guest with us. Uh, Dr. Daniela uh, is a reader in. World Christianity in the Department of Theology and Religion at the University of Birmingham. Her areas of academic research include theological ethics, public theology, um, ecclesiology, uh, and pneumatology, and um, liturgical theology. Um, she is the author of many publications, including Pentecost, Hospitality, and Transfiguration toward a spirit-inspired vision of social transformation and um, another one is the spirit and the common go- uh, common good shared flourishing 
in the image of uh, God. Uh, Dr. Daniela, may the peace uh, be upon you. Uh, welcome to The Breakfast Show and thank you for joining us. Thank you so very much. It is a pleasure to uh, contribute to your show. You're welcome. Thank you for joining us again. And um, just getting straight into it, we yes. are t- we we have um, a few a few questions that we would like to ask. The first one being is, how is um, the concept of divine love in relation in relation to belief in God encouraged uh, within Christianity? This is a big question because because love is at the very core of the Christian understanding of God and represents the heart of Christian ethics. Um, A famous passage in the New Testament that we find in the first epistle of Apostle John, chapter 4, states that God is love, and then links knowledge of God with loving one's fellow human. But if God is love, then all that God does is an act of love, or we can understand what God does as love in action. Then love becomes a key to understanding God, ourselves, but also the world that God has created. And then we can look at the world and see all of creation as an act of the divine love. In fact, we can see the world as love, Divine love made matter. But the same is true in Christianity about redemption for all of the salvific redeeming work of uh, God in the world then becomes a manifestation of who God is as love and what he accomplishes for the salvation of the world, for the salvation of humanity in Jesus Christ is an embodiment of God's love for his creation. So love vibrates, so to speak, in the very fabrics of the cosmos, in the very fabrics of the world that God has made. For God creates, redeems, sustains, and renews his world, and that is God as love in action. So um, in light of this understanding of God, the Christian journey is articulated as growing in love because there is this underlying understanding that uh, humanity is created in the image of God and it's called to attain, to live according to likeness of God. And so the two great commandments for Christianity, uh, the centerpiece of Christian ethics, become love for God with the totality of one's being. And out of that flows the second great commandment, which is love for neighbor. We read in the New Testament that these two commandments fulfill the law the law of Moses. In fact, Jesus says there is no greater commandment than these two. And the second one becomes sort of the litmus test for the first in uh, John, the first epistle of John chapter 4, which was mentioned, which I mentioned a bit ago. Um, John says, if one says that they love God but hate their neighbor, they're a liar. You cannot claim the 
first you cannot claim love for God if you do not love your neighbor, if you don't love your fellow human. Mm-hmm. And of course, we have this, um, and you have heard it, I'm sure, uh, if you have ever watched, even if you watch the uh, uh, royal weddings uh, on TV, you have heard often quoted the uh, chapter uh, in Apostle Paul's uh, letter to the first letter to the Corinthians, uh, chapter 13. Uh, where he says, uh, he describes love as being patient, kind, not boastful, not proud, uh, as not being easily angered, as seeking always the well-being of the other. Um, Mm -hmm. And uh, that description of love, uh, that keeps us spellbound, uh, shows demonstrates also how much uh, short our love falls in comparison to the love of God, and yet we are called to be imitators of God. Mm-hmm. Um, so it is a challenge. It is a challenge, and yet uh, it is the descriptive of the Christian journey. Um, the same passage in chapter 4 uh, of uh, uh, the first epistle of Apostle John uh, says that uh, uh, we should love one another. No one has seen God, but if we love one another, God remains in us and his love is perfected in us. So therefore, Christian perfection uh, is understood as perfect love. Mm -hmm. That is what true imitation of God is. Mm-hmm. Um, the, uh, d- we did have um, a few more questions, but I think you, um, through your first answer, you did answer uh, most of the questions. Um, yeah, and due to the time which is restricting us, we we would want to ask uh, you know a couple more questions. But I think your first uh, answer was uh, you know covered most of the questions. Um, thank you for joining us, and we hope you have a lovely week ahead. You're very welcome. It has been a pleasure. Thank you for joining us. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you. That was Dr. Daniela. Um, it's a very interesting topic that we are talking about today, yeah. isn't it, Summer? Yeah, no, no, definitely. And I think we'll just like to uh, end with uh, with one thing. There, there's, there's so much uh, that... Actually, I, I think we'll actually maybe continue on uh, a little bit after the news as well. Um, but one narration of the Holy Prophet Muhammad, may the peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, which uh, which I really wanted to share, was that when a servant of mine, of God Almighty, advances towards me a foot, I advance him uh, towards him a yard. And when he advances towards me a yard, I advance towards him the length of his arms spread out. When he comes to me walking, I go to him running. So this is a hadith Qudsi, which is actually a, a narration which the Holy Prophet Muhammad, may the peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, has shared. But this is actually, the, these are the words of God Almighty. So he's saying that however much we advance towards him, he will come to, to us uh, even closer and even quicker. And so this is a reminder for all of us that it's never too late. And however difficult it might seem, we should try and get uh, this nearness. Uh, but we'll speak about this in a little more detail. Here's news. You are listening to the recording of a live show. Please do not call or text as this is a recording. 
and lines are now closed. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. May the peace and blessings of Allah be upon you all. Welcome back to the breakfast show here on the Voice of Islam radio station. Just a quick time check for you. It is two minutes past eight on Tuesday, the 4th of July, 2023. Um, and we are just going to con- uh, continue speaking a little bit uh, about our first topic, which is divine love. Um, and I think one thing which uh, is essential to, to, to touch on and speak about is how we can actually achieve uh, Allah's love. Um, and uh, of course, we've spoken about uh, uh, mimicking and emulating his uh, attributes within our own spheres of life, um, it, although obviously that, that sphere would be on a much smaller uh, level to, to God Almighty's. Um, but we we obviously need to do those things which he himself does, but forgiving, being merciful, uh, helping, and all of these things. Um, but on top of that, what what else can we do, uh, Jalees, to to attain um, God's nearness um, and achieve that uh, that 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 love of God Almighty as well? Yeah, I mean, there's there's a few things as Muslims that we can do. I think the main thing we should remember is that. Um, we should remember Allah Almighty as much as we, you know, uh, as 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 is humanly possible, because we should remember that everything that we have been bestowed in this life, um, you know, uh, everything that we have, uh, we ha- God Almighty has given us, you know, whether it be through either our prayers or without, or whether it be without us even asking, um, you know, they're all a blessing of God Almighty, and you know, we should, we should always uh, remember Allah Almighty, whether it be th- be through you know our five daily prayers or whether it be, um, you know, just be, um, uh, 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 you know, remembering Him and you know thanking him for what he has uh, blessed us with i mean in in islam we we see that almost every single deed that we do there is a prayer for it and there's a a way that we remember god almighty for example when before we eat there is a prayer that we 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 thank allah almighty for what he has bestowed us um you know even after we eat as well for when you when you wear a, a new piece of clothing, there is a prayer in Islam where you you thank Allah Almighty for what for what again what what He has bestowed upon man before you sleep, as well after waking up as well. There are various prayers that the Holy Prophet has taught us. So I think it's 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 very important for us that you know that we should be remembering Allah Almighty, and it shouldn't be that we just remember God Almighty at times of need. Um, we should remember Allah Almighty. Uh, throughout our lives, whether we are going through um, ease or hardship, and then that brings, obviously, with that it brings uh, us to the second. Another thing we can do is we can ref, uh, reflect, um, um, you know, which is this is a very effective approach to you know invoke uh, divine love, um, you know, which is to engage in uh, contemplation and uh, you know reflect. On the divine attributes, um, and this is something which, in uh, Sufi terminology, is uh, mentioned as uh, fikr, um, and this is something that the Holy Quran as well says that we you know we should reflect upon the creation of the of the world, and we should uh, and indeed in the signs, indeed in the creation of the world, we'll we'll find signs of Allah Almighty, and uh, you know when we when we see. God Almighty. When we reflect upon what God Almighty has created, we are naturally drawn to His, you know, His, 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 uh, His, His, his uh, everything that He has uh, you know, done for us.
Mm. Um, yeah, I mean, there, there are various more as well. Um, briefly rushing over, briefly going over them, in fact, is um, compassion. We should have compassion for God Almighty's creation because in Islam, we see that, uh, you know, which is the rights owed to Allah Almighty and which is the rights that man, the man owes to mankind, go hand in hand. Uh, so, you know, to, to attain Allah Almighty's love, we should love his um, creation. You know, this reminds me of a of a very famous uh, quote of uh, the fourth caliph of the Ahmadi Muslim community, um, Hazrat Mizar Tahir Ahmad, may Allah have mercy on him. He said that if you love the art, you must love the artist. And if you love the creation, you must uh, love the creator. So, um, you know, this is this is very, very uh, eloquently uh, put. And um, again, when we when we talk about the rights of Allah Almighty and the rights of um, uh, that of man that man owes to mankind, they go hand in hand. And to attain God's love, we should also be looking after. You know, we should we should make great efforts to uh, humanitarian efforts to look after mankind and humanitarian. And then there, there is another um, way that we can achieve God's love is through, of course, uh, through uh, uh, regret, which is, um, you know, when 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 a person commits, of course, man because man is uh, in the Holy Quran even says this, man is created as a weak person. He is, man is weak, and he is often, you know, he can slip. And at certain times, this is when the person should be regretful for a, any mistake he has committed. And this is the Allah Almighty even says in the Holy Quran that in Allah you that you know Allah loves those who turn to him so if a person feels regret then you know that is a a person after committing any uh, deed which is a uh, shameful they if they feel regret they should turn towards Allah almighty and this is something God almighty loves that a person con- continues to turn towards him and when we turn towards God almighty we are basically saying that we are as human beings we are weak and we need his help um in uh matters to you know remain um remain strong another one um to attain god almighty is uh prayer of course that has been mentioned uh, often um and then there is uh, we should we should place our trust in almighty allah almighty we should act with uh, justice we should you know make allah almighty our shield uh, you know, and we should become one with Allah and adopt His attributes, just as you know, bro- uh, Brother Summer has mentioned in in, uh, in it very, very previously. And we should also study the nature of uh, love as well. Hmm. Um, I mean, uh, love. That's that's also why we uh, get along and 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 love individuals as well, isn't it? Because of the things that we have in common. Um, and we mentioned that Allah the Almighty has fashioned and made us in a way. Um, that, uh, uh, for instance, Allah is beautiful and He loves beauty, so He has made us beautiful as well, um, and He has made everything the 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 earth, the 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 creation, everything, um, in that same manner as well. Um, just uh, we moving on to the next topic. We do have a lot to cover as well. A life on Saturn's moon. Is there any such possibility? That's the question that we're asking today. Zero two zero eight six eight seven seven eight seven eight is the number for you. Let us know what you think. 
um, especially after we discuss some of the main uh, things from within the article, from the research that's, that's been done and conducted. Um, there, um, you can, of course, tweet us and leave your comments on, on our Instagram page as well at Voice of Islam UK. So phosphorus. One of the key building blocks for life uh, has been uh, found on Saturn's mini ocean bearing moon called Enceladus. Uh, previously, scientists have located other chemicals required for survival and life, such as carbon, hydrogen, nitrogen, oxygen, and sulfur. Um, however, phosphorus has remained had remained undetected until now phosphorus is vital in combining with sugars to form the skeleton of dna molecules uh, it also plays a part in repairing and maintaining cell membranes the discovery has also increased excitement regarding extraterrestrial life on saturn's moon and poses the question are we really alone in the universe arthur clark uh, a famous british science writer once said two possibilities exist either we are alone in the universe or we are are not both are equally terrifying um from seti to the drake equation to the famous movies showcasing ufos and alien life our modern society is quite exposed to ideas about aliens and extraterrestrial life in fact this idea of the existence of another world can be traced back to greek antiquity however many renowned philosophers uh, the likes of aristotle and plato rejected the idea of many worlds nowadays many contemporary scientists working in this field have expressed their their thoughts about alien life existing um as professor alexander wolskan uh, a polish astronomer who discovered the first goldilocks zone pl- uh, planet once said keep searching keep searching one day it's probably going to happen um more on this from our first guest for this segment we do have with us on the line professor david rothery uh, who is a professor of planetary geosciences at the open university um and he is the uh, on the science team for the european space agency's uh, bepi colombo mission to mercury assalamualaikum peace be upon you good morning and welcome to the breakfast show Good morning. Thank you for having me. You're very welcome, and and thank you for being with us. Um, based on your expertise in planetary science, uh, what is the current understanding of the potential for life on Saturn's moon Enceladus? Well, we know it's got everything that we think you need for life. It's got an ocean. It's a small world. It's got a rocky core. It's covered in ice, and there's a layer of liquid water between the ice and the rock. And the water is clearly warm enough for life because it's above freezing point. But the chemical energy coming from the rock, you don't need sunlight. And um, we have found, because we can sample the ocean water, because it's spraying out to space through cracks in the ice, which is marvellous, spacecraft mm. can fly through it and, and sample the material. It's got everything there that you need for life. You mentioned phosphorus, the latest thing to have been found. Um, it's no surprise to find phosphorus. Um, it's a relief that we've found it because it was missing. It's a common element, but we've not detected it before. Everything is there. We've, we've got organic molecules, hydrocarbons and so on. There's plenty of um, hydrogen that could be produced by reaction between the rock and the water. It's the kind of place where we think life began on Earth, where we've got hot water springs coming from the ocean floor into the base of the ocean. That's where life could have started on the Earth, while the surface environment was very hostile. Too much ultraviolet light, a poisonous atmosphere, doesn't matter. Under an ocean, you can have chemical life that gets started way before you get 
plants photosynthesizing, which is what we rely on, because mm-hmm. we eat plants which are getting their energy from sunlight. Before that happened, life of hot springs in the ocean, and the, the setting inside Enceladus is just right for that to occur there also. Now, we don't know that it has started there, but all the ingredients are there that could support life. Wow. So we're looking inside icy moons. It's not just Enceladus. There's one at Jupiter called Europa, which is perhaps even more likely to host life. Mm-hmm. Um, but those are the places we're looking at now. Places inside icy moons which have conditions such as there were in Earth's deep oceans when we think life began on Earth four billion years ago. Wow, wow, very interesting. Especially when you link it with uh, with the with Earth as well and the the origins of that. Um, uh, Professor uh, Rothery, how do scientists detect and analyze the presence of water and other chemical compounds on Enceladus? Okay, well, we know the surface is water ice and the way it reflects sunlight. Mm-hmm. We know um, it's not solid ice all the way down because the icy shell is moving slightly different to the interior. It wobbles a little bit, so there's definitely liquid water down there. Um, it would be very difficult to analyse the contents of that ocean without landing and drilling through the ice, except there are cracks in the icy shell. That exposes a little bit of the top of the ocean to space, mm-hmm. which is a vacuum, so the ocean vaporises, boils away and sprays out. There's a very fine spray of ice crystals and other particles venting to space. And spacecraft have flown through that. Well, one spacecraft has flown through it. It was a NASA mission called Cassini, which orbited Saturn for over 10 years. And it had multiple passes through the plume, collecting the stuff, so scooping it up. Uh, It wasn't an experiment designed to measure the plume. We didn't know these plumes would exist until we got there. It was experiments designed just to sample the interplanetary particles and the solar wind and so on and the dust that you expect around Saturn. But when they found the plumes, they flew through the plumes and analysed them. So that's how we know we've got little particles of silica. We've got quite complex hydrocarbon molecules. And uh, more recently, the phosphorus was detected in some old data that was Mm reanalysed. So um, you you scoop the stuff up, pass it through instruments called mass spectrometers. There's a cosmic dust analyzer as well. So the stuff has actually been sampled in small chemical laboratories on board the spacecraft, basically. Nice. What a wonderful bonus to find these plumes going into space. Yeah, exactly. We didn't know they were there when the mission was designed. Yeah, no, no, it's uh, very interesting, uh, to, say, to say the least. Um, you mentioned the, the extreme conditions uh, on Enceladus, such as the icy surface and subsurface ocean. What, what challenges would be involved in exploring this moon for, for actual signs of life? Well, it's a dream to go to Europa or or Enceladus and send a little robot through the ice. Now, you can either find a crack that's open and drop a little free-swimming submersible down there, or you have to go and drill. And and drilling through a kilometre or 10 kilometres of ice is a really big challenge. Uh, But you you could get a little small free-swimming robot. Um, I've seen plans that NASA has, or, or conceptual studies that NASA's undertaken, just to release some mobile phone-sized free-swimming robots, which would you get into the ocean, they go swimming, um, they'd try and get to the bottom, they'd sniff the water and find where it's cloudiest, because that's where there's, there are precipitates from, from hot vents coming onto the ocean floor. You'd swim towards the most turbid bits and see what you could find there. 
um, and then they have to come, they'd, they'd be coupled acoustically to some receiver on the surface, you know, sonar signal back to the, the surface and transmit the data to a, it, 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 it's a big, it's a big undertaking. I think we're looking 50 years away, mm-hmm. but you would send robotic free swimming submersibles under the ice to go and sniff around and see what they can find. Okay. Nice. We're, looking, we're thinking microbial life. We're not, we're not thinking squids and sharks yeah. and stuff like that, mm-hmm. but. At the hydrothermal vents, the hot vents in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean, for example, we've got chemically charged water coming out of the hot vents. There are bacteria um, that are oxidizing the sulfur and so on and producing methane. And you've got, um, you've got shrimps grazing off the bacteria. So you can support mm. higher organisms on these, um, these chemically fueled um, living systems. It doesn't have to stay at the microbial level. But hey, we'd be happy just to find even microbes inside Enceladus or Europa. Yeah. As I think you said in the introduction, uh, are we alone or aren't we alone? Either would be amazing. Yeah. If we can find that life has started inside a moon of Saturn, mm-hmm. as well as starting on the Earth, that's two independent genesis of life. Life is starting on two places independently. If that can happen twice in our solar system, it should be all over the galaxy because we now know that most stars have planets. Mm. Some of those planets are going to be not too dissimilar to us. So there should be Earth planets with quite complex life. So improbable, but it can only occur once, then we are alone. But if we find it's happened twice in the same solar system, then logically it ought to be all over the blooming galaxy. Yeah, no, no, true. Very true, very true. Uh, I mean, it's it's uh, it's exciting times, and of course, the more we research, the more we go out there and and, and see, um, the the more things we'll come up with as well. So that's uh, that that's uh, an amazing thing about uh, all of these discoveries as well, isn't it? Um, just lastly, yeah. there are, are there any specific missions or, or research projects currently underway or uh, planned uh, in, in the near future to further study the potential for life on Enceladus? Well, at the moment, not Enceladus. There mm-hmm. are two missions coming up to go to Jupiter to study its icy moons, including oh, okay. Europa. There's a, 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 a European one called Juno, run by the European Space Agency. Mm-hmm. Uh, not Juno. Um, um, it's called uh, it's called Juice. Oh, nice. <laughs> that stands for Jupiter icy explore or something juice it's a good name yeah. juice is on its way and nasa have the europa clipper which will be launched in a couple of years time they'll both orbit jupiter they'll have close by close flybys of several of the moons and um, the european one juice will concentrate on ganymede but we'll see some of europa and the europa clipper nasa mission is going to focus very much on europa so um, if there are plumes erupting through cracks in the ice on Europa, which we don't know yet, we've been there and never seen plumes, but there might be, we can sample the plumes. Otherwise, they'll be looking down at the surface with sophisticated spectroscopes just to see what the surface composition is in somewhat more detail. And there will also be instruments to try and work out how thick the ice is, because we need to find thin places in the ice if we want to drill through the ice one day want to find the thin places so it's incremental these missions that are coming up aren't going to prove that there is life there they'll be the next step on Mm -hmm. the way to to, to learning what we need to know 
Okay. So it's going to be a while before the mystery is solved, I'm afraid. Yeah. <laughs> no, no worries. I mean, it's it's it, it, the more we uh, research, obviously, the more we find out, and 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 it's a huge stepping stone, in the, uh, to say the least. Anyway, so so that's uh, that's great, um, Professor. Thank you for for, for being with us uh, for answering our questions, uh, and we hope you have a wonderful day ahead as well. Thank you. Oh, I've enjoyed <coughs> our chat. Goodbye. <laughs> Likewise. Thank you. Bye bye. Zero two zero eight six eight seven seven eight seven eight is the number for you. That was Professor David Rothery, uh, who is a professor of planetary uh, geosciences at the Open University, um, and he's on the science team for the European Space Agency uh, Bepi Colombo mission to uh, Mercury. Uh, yeah, I mean this is a, it's a very in- interesting topic. Life on Saturn's moon. I mean anything, life anywhere in the universe. Uh, you know, it's, it's quite interesting as well to know where if if we're alone or not in this entire universe and our next um, guest we have professor lewis um, who is a research scientist uh, presenter and author based in london Uh, he graduated from oxford university with a first class degree in biological sciences and completed his phd at university college london in 2007 his research is in the field of astrobiology and the search for microbial life on mars he has won several awards for his science writing and outreach work and regular freelance for newspapers and magazine articles. He has also published five books. The Knowledge was the Sunday Times New Thinking Book of the Year and International Bestseller. And Origins, How the Earth Made Us is a Sunday Times Top History Book of 2019. Being Human how our biology uh, biology shaped world history is out um uh, from f- uh, 1st june 2023 and we have uh, with us uh, professor lewis uh, may the peace and blessings of god be upon you uh, welcome to the breakfast show and thank you for joining us good morning thank you very much for having me good morning and thank you for joining us um we do have a few questions um it's a, it's an interesting topic we're talking about life on Saturn's moon, and uh, uh, is there any such uh, possibility? Um, as an astrobiologist, uh, what is your assessment of the likelihood of finding life on Saturn's moon, uh, Enceladus, based on the available evidence uh, thus far? Mm, so what we know about Enceladus is that it seems to have at least some of the uh, major prerequisites that you need to have life on another world and that's liquid water. And the Cassini space probe, which was launched out to explore Saturn uh, and uh, and her moons uh, a few years ago, discovered plumes of water, fountains of water, jetting out from around the southern hemisphere of Enceladus. So we know it's got an aqueous environment, a water environment uh, beneath its icy, cold, frozen surface. But what we also know about that water from Enceladus <clears throat> is by flying this probe, the Cassini probe, through one of those plumes of water and effectively tasting it. It sort of stuck out its scientific tongue, one of its instruments. Uh, it could tell what sort of atoms and molecules are in that water. And it was salty. So we know that it's seawater that's able to interact with the seafloor and therefore there's potential energy sources for life in this alien ocean as well. So the Enceladus seems to tick all of the right boxes for having a habitable environment, having an environment that could be appropriate for life beyond the Earth. Mm-hmm. 
that's interesting. Um, uh, in, in your in your book, uh, the knowledge, how to rebuild our world from scratch, you explore how uh, humanity can rebuild civilization from uh, basic knowledge. Um, if we were to discover life on Enceladus, how much uh, or how might uh, that knowledge impact our understanding of life's origins and uh, possibilities of you know extraterrestrial life? Yes, I think finding examples of life beyond our Earth would be just one of those fundamentally important questions. You know, be like realizing that the uh, Earth orbits the Sun rather than vice versa, or realizing before that that the Earth wasn't flat. It would be just a fundamental discovery about the Earth and the cosmos and the universe um, that we live in. And so we're looking for life on places like Mars or Enceladus, which we're just talking about, but also Europa that I think you were talking about earlier this morning. And if you find these examples of extraterrestrial life, life that got started completely separately from life on Earth, that it underwent some sort of independent genesis, that would start telling us that maybe life is a common thing to arise on other planets and moons. So if you find life on Enceladus or Europa or Mars in our own solar system, that'd be exciting, but it also indicates that life will be likely in many, many, many other planets and moons throughout the galaxy. Maybe life is very common. And I think that will teach us enormous amounts about ourselves, about the cosmos, about the galaxy we live in. And if we're able to bring samples of that life back to the Earth to study it, you know, I, I I'm sure that during biology lessons at school, you've looked down a microscope and maybe saw, you know, cells in a leaf or cells from your own cheek. Mm -hmm. Imagine being a scientist, trying to have the opportunity to study a completely different kind of life, life from another planet, life that is built differently and maybe doesn't use things like DNA or proteins in its cells. That would be an incredibly informative thing to be able to study to see how biology or how life can work in very, very different ways. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, how significant is this finding of uh, phosphorus on Enceladus in terms of you know potential for life on the moon? So I mentioned earlier that we'd, in Enceladus, in these plumes of water, already discovered uh, that it was salty, that it was seawater that had been interacting with the seafloor. Yeah. And wasn't just like pure ice that had been blasted off from the surface by, by other mechanisms. Um, so the fact that it's interacting with the seafloor and it's got those kind of minerals and salts dissolved in it implies that there's geothermal activity in Enceladus as well. So things like hydrothermal vents, which form oases of life in the dark depths of Earth's own oceans. And we also think, many scientists think, that hydrothermal vents were also the cradle for life. They were the sites where life first got started on our planet. And what's particularly important about phosphorus, alongside other key uh, atoms and key elements for life, like sulfur or uh, potassium or sodium, is that phosphorus is used in some of the most important molecules for building life, including DNA itself. You need to have phosphorus atoms and phosphorus elements to be able to create DNA. And also, all life on Earth uses phosphorus uh, to work its energy systems. So molecules like ATP, adenosine triphosphate, is like the currency, it's like the coin that our cells use for energy um, to run all of their processes. So finding phosphorus in the oceans of Enceladus is incredibly important because mm -hmm. it's, it's adding one extra thing to that chemical 
toolkit that life on Enceladus would have available to it to making the key molecules for life. I see, I see. And just lastly, um, are there any unique challenges in studying and exploring a moon like in uh, Enceladus as compared to you know, other celestial bodies in our solar system? Well, Mars is relatively easy, relatively easy to study. You know, space travel is always very challenging and always very difficult. But Mars is relatively easy because it's our next-door neighbour planet. It's very nearby, or at least is at certain periods when our orbits line up. Um, so we've sent a lot of probes to Mars, and it's relatively cheap, and it's quite quick to get there. Sending probes all the way out to Jupiter, and then even further out to Saturn and Enceladus <laughs> is more expensive. You need much bigger rockets to be able to throw the probe far enough out into the outer solar system to reach Jupiter and Saturn. It takes much longer to get there. Uh, because you're so much further from the sun, then solar panels are much, much less effective for powering your probes. So there's lots of challenges in sending probes as far away as Jupiter and Saturn and the moons that orbit them. But in particular, for trying to understand moons like Europa or Enceladus, and particularly the oceans that we think lie beneath their surface, the very fact that they're under the surface makes them very difficult to access, to try to explore. Because as Dave Rothery said uh, on the interview just before me, if you're trying to explore the oceans on Europa or Enceladus, you'd probably have to land some kind of probe on the outside of that eggshell of, of hard ice and then drill or melt your way straight down through perhaps several kilometers to get to that ocean. But what is exciting about Enceladus is with these fountains and plumes of water, it's effectively sampling its own ocean into space. We don't have to go down to get to that ocean. We can fly a probe through one of those plumes of water, collect samples of that ice crystal once it's frozen, and then fly back to the Earth and then deliver that sample so scientists around the planet, around the Earth, can study that sample of seawater. Um, so that's some of the challenges of exploring Enceladus in Europa, but also one of the great opportunities these particular moons offer for us to try to understand what sort of chemistry is going on in, the, in those oceans and whether there might be life there as well. I see, I see. I mean, it's, it's a very, very interesting, and I mean, I can't wait to see where where this uh, where all of this research you know if 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 there is any life out there then it it will be quite interesting um you know to to learn about as well um you know th- i think that's that's all we have time for we 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 do uh, we are uh, racing against the clock um thank you you know very much for joining us and we hope you have a lovely week ahead you too thanks very much for having me speak to you soon thank you very much that was Professor Lewis, and it was a very interesting topic, life on Saturn's moon, and if there is any possibility. I mean, um, such such topics, they, they always, always, um, you know, create a, a, a an interest, I'm sure, in, very, uh, in a lot of people's minds. And uh, Summer, what you mentioned earlier in the, when we began this uh, segment, that whether there is life out there or there isn't out there, um, you know, both possibilities are, you know, they're there and mm. they're both quite scary as well. Yeah, yeah, no, no, definitely, definitely. Um, if we turn to chapter 42, verse 30 of the Holy Quran, it actually sheds some light uh, on this subject uh, as a whole. And it says that, and among his signs, God's signs, that is, is the creation of the heavens and the earth and of whatever living creatures he has spread forth in both. And he has the power to gather them together when he will so please. So, of course, 
from reading this verse, we can see that according to this unique and striking verse of the Holy Quran, mankind will one day communicate with the creatures that dwell in the heavens, quote unquote. Um, and what is more remarkable is that the Holy Quran revealed the existence of life outside our planet before science was even fully established. The lexical choice of the word creatures highlights that the verse is referring to animals that creep or move along the surface of the earth. That's what our uh, previous guest mentioned as well, that it, they're, they're not hopeful of uh, uh, having squid and maybe things of that sort, but maybe some microbial things and things of that sort. Yeah. Therefore, this verse hints towards terrestrial life um, and not any spiritual entities. If we delve deeper into the Arabic lexicon, it comes to light that the creatures referred to are also intelligent beings who are able to think rationally. All of this is definitely mind-perplexing. But what is more startling is that this verse also informs mankind that one day we will actually come into contact with such species. I mean, this is... It's amazing. I mean, to obviously this uh, this discovery of phosphorus um, uh, on um, the um, uh, uh, over there, uh, we can see that uh, on the Enceladus, it's it's a huge discovery in itself. But what's even more amazing is that this was actually prophesied and this was uh, revealed to the Holy Prophet Muhammad, may the peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, over 1400 years ago, when one couldn't even imagine of such a thing. I mean, this it, it really puts into uh, to context um, the beauty of, uh, of God Almighty revealing his word unto the, uh, man for us to uh, to discover all of these things so many years in advance indeed i mean if we put it into perspective i i believe it was in 70, uh, 1780 or 1781 where the first planet was uh, first discovered when uh, at that time when they thought it was an orbit so 1781 uh, you know if you which was just probably just you know very recent compared to the time of the holy prophet yeah. who in his time said that spoke about well in the Holy Quran we received various uh, different uh, planets and um, how life uh, out there would uh, you know how mankind would in one way or another like you mentioned would connect with them as well and uh, just one one very interesting thing that you know did uh, come into uh, mind when I, when we were speaking with the guests as well that often when when there are new planets out there, or when they are looking for planets where mankind or where, where they, there is possibly life, one of the first things that is uh, looked looked at is water, and the Holy Quran says that وَجَعَلَ مِنِ الْمَاءِ كُلِّ شَيْءٍ حَيٍّ that you know that uh, we made um, from water every living thing, and you know this this uh, verse signifies that um, that you know no physical life can exist without water. So it, you know it it really does. Put it into a perspective where the Holy Quran has mentioned all these things, you know, 1400, 14, 1500 years ago. You know, these are things that very recently scientists have uh, come up with. And, you know, it's, it, it's, it's something that does reaffirm one's faith. And, and it's something that I, I would encourage everyone out there, whether, you know, uh, whether they are Muslims or they are you know, non-Muslims, they should go out there, they should study the Holy Quran and see how, what things are mentioned in the Holy Quran that scientists today are just finding out very recently as well. Mm. Um, 
uh, unfortunately there's there's so much uh, information uh, that we need to 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 share uh, but unfortunately time is getting the better of us and we do need to move on to our last segment as well um just quickly his holiness hazimiza masood ahmed the current uh, worldwide head of the ahmadiyya muslim community uh, may Allah strengthen his hand uh, he was asked a question in regards to existence of life on another planet um, and the answer that he gave was that there is no doubt of life uh, on other planets maybe not on the known planets of our solar system but then it must be in the planets of other uh, solar systems there are many more galaxies the universe is vastly expanded it could be at some time in the, in the future but Allah knows better He went on to say that such a planet must consist of all the vital sources required to continue life. For example, your body would require oxygen and the question would be that does this planet consist of the required amount of oxygen for life to continue? Does the planet consist of the required amount of gravity that is necessary to keep you grounded? Um, and of course, through their, their, their writings as well, of the Muslim scholars of the past, such as Muhammad al-Baqir, um, they've testified in favor of life existing in other planets. In fact, al-Baqir in the 8th century wrote, maybe you see that God created only this, this single world and that God did not create humans besides you. Well, I swear by God that God creates thousands and thousands of other worlds and thousands and thousands of humankind. Uh, just lastly there, the, the founder of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, Hazim Zaghulam Ahmed, uh, may uh, Allah have mercy on his soul and upon whom be, be, be peace. In an interview in 1908, um, uh, the year of his demise, regarding the existence of aliens, said, We don't propose that there is no system other than our earth and the sky. Rather, our God says that he is Rabbul Alameen, that is, He is the sustainer of all of the universes and that wherever there has been an inhabitation, there, ha there he has sent his messengers. Lack of knowledge does not make something non-existent. God created such a vast system of provision for this small earth. Why would he not have created provision for all other habitations? Um, and I think that uh, beautifully uh, explains and summarizes and expounds on on the existence or, or the question of whether there can be existence of life outside of this earth. Um, it, it might not be in the in the form of humankind, um, but there, it most certainly, according to the Islamic scriptures, uh, the most uh, scripture, the Holy Quran, there, there most certainly is uh, life outside of earth. Um, and it's of some sort of intelligence as well that it holds. Um, maybe we can speak more on this uh, in future episodes uh, and if you would like for us to do so then comment uh, uh, on our uh, Instagram page or leave your tweets on on our Twitter page uh, at Voice of Islam UK and of course the number for you as always is 0208-687-7878 where you can let our team know as well and moving on to the last su subject uh, 4th of July celebrating Independence Day USA um, of course this is a day which celebrates all the liberty that the country provides to its citizens and th through these celebrations it helps foster sentiments of peace uh, peace and patriotism um, before we speak about uh, USA as a whole and what uh, um, um, is happening over there uh, we'll touch on that as well actually but what is the history of Independence Day Jalees? Yeah, so Independence Day also known as uh, 4th of July commemorates the adoption of Declaration of Independence by the 
Continental Congress in July, uh, in 4th of July, of course, uh, 1776. The declaration declared that uh, the 13 American colonies, uh, independence from British rule, and marked the birth of the United States of America. The American Revolution, which began in 1775, had been a struggle for independence and self-governance. The Continental Congress uh, um, uh, appointed a committee consisting of uh, uh, people such as um, Thomas Jefferson, John Adams, Benjamin Franklin, uh, Roger Sherman, um, you know, to draft a formal document justifying the colony's separation from Great Britain. Thomas Jefferson was primarily responsible for writing the Declaration of Independence, which outlined the colonists' grievances against the British monarchy and affirmed their unalienable rights to life, uh, liberty and pursuits of happiness. On 2nd of July, um, 1776, the Continental Congress voted in favour of independence and two days later, on July 4th, the members, of, of the members officially adopted the final version of the Declaration of Independence. This pivotal document proclaimed the sovereignty of the United States and set forth the principles upon which the new nation would be built. Uh, Independence Day became a significant and widely celebrated holiday in the years following the Revolutionary War. It was first celebrated with public readings of declaration, military displays, uh, parades and fireworks. You know, over time, it evolved into a day of uh, national pride, patriotism and uh, reflection on the values of freedom and democracy that the United States represents uh, today. Independence Day is a federal holiday in the United States, observed annually on July 4th, which is today, of course. Um, it is marked by various festiv uh, festivities, including fireworks, parades, barbecues, picnics, um, you know, family gatherings as well. The holiday serves as a time to celebrate the country's history, honor its founders and heroes, and appreciate the freedoms and rights that Americans enjoy. If we turn to the Holy Prophet Muhammad, may the peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, he actually told us that he who obeys me obeys God. He who disobeys me disobeys God. He who obeys his authority obeys me. He who disobeys his authority disobeys me. So we can see from this narration of the Holy Quran that it is indeed a part of our faith that uh, if we are obeying God Almighty and His Messenger, um, then also we are to obey our uh, the authority which uh, is in rule as well, the governance, the co the, the country in, in which we live in. Um, and he's also said, uh, a very famous narration of his, that love of one's create, uh, country is part of one's faith. So, of course, from this we can see that there is no conflict between one's pledge to religion and their pledge of allegiance because exhibiting loyalty to one's country of residence itself becomes a religious practice. And this shows us the importance of, uh, of course, having love for your nation and doing whatever you can to better that nation as well. We all need to be contributing members of, the, uh, of, uh, of society, not so that we... Uh, um, 
just uh, just sit and try to uh, take uh, benefits and 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 not work and not contribute back to to and give back to society rather we are to be members of society who are actually contributing um and uh, making it a better and safer place for everyone around us as well we're going to be speaking to our guest for this segment dr natalie zasik um who is a senior lecturer in american studies at the university of manchester specializing in the colonial and uh, antebellum uh, us the caribbean race slavery gender and sexuality uh, she has just completed a book about the role of horse racing in a 19th century american culture uh, assalamualaikum peace be upon you good morning and welcome to the breakfast show thanks it's great to be here and it's a pleasure to have you on thank you for being with us um what is uh, just getting straight into the questions uh, what is the historical significance of the 4th of july we've touched on it but uh, maybe if you can expound a little bit more on that uh, for the benefit of our listeners please the 4th of july is american <clears throat> independence day um and it's based on um the release on the 4th of july in 1776 in philadelphia um of the document um the declaration of independence so it commemorates the moment at which um the united states announced its formal intent to break away from british imperial rule and become an independent nation mm-hmm. um and would you kindly list and, and elucidate the factors that led colonists to to seek independence from britain Well first of all it's it's important to keep in mind that although it's hard to really make the statistical probably only about 40% of people in the American colonies in 1776 were really aggressively pro independence mm-hmm. some people were opposed to it some people were kind of apathetic but for people who wanted to be independent um what they particularly resented was that they did, felt that they were not represented in the British parliament uh they they felt that britain was able to legislate on their behalf particularly about issues of taxation um in a form to which they were not sending delegates uh so that was probably the single biggest factor was you know a growing sense uh the colonies were feeling quite confident uh particularly economically at this time and they were starting also to feel that they perhaps had more in common with one another even though living in New Hampshire was very different from living in say South Carolina um and that they had less in common with british people who lived in britain mm-hmm. okay um uh, some historians uh, as well as john adams uh, who was a founding father argue that the birth of independence was in fact on the 2nd of july uh, could you please please uh, shed some light on this debate please yes now the, the declaration of independence was actually signed in independence hall in philadelphia on the 2nd of july okay. and john adams was there as a delegate um so you know since he was an insider he knew exactly when people had signed the declaration making it in his view a legal statement but it, the document was not released to the public until the 4th uh so we celebrate the day at which independence was announced rather than that on which you know in technical terms it went into effect okay 
Okay, makes sense. Um, for African Americans through the 1800s, the 4th of July was used to argue for emancipation and full citizenship, um, as well as for their rights. As a senior lecturer specializing in slavery and colonial uh, and antebellum uh, US, could you please expand on the significance uh, the 4th of July holds for, for African Americans? Well, certainly um, until emancipation, um, it was a, you know, in some ways a very saddening day um, because while other Americans, while white Americans were celebrating independence, that is independence from British imperial control, and quite often, you know, during and after the American Revolution, um, Americans referred to Britain as being tyrannical and treating them like slaves. But of course, the Declaration did not actually liberate any enslaved people. Quite a number of the men who signed the Declaration owned slaves. Others didn't own slaves, but were not what we would call abolitionists. Mm -hmm. And so the, you know, the words, <clears throat> you know, all men are created equal, and that's, those are the words. It does not say all white men or all European-descended men. Um, you know, even though the majority of enslaved people couldn't read, um, you know, a lot of them had heard this phrase, and they quite understandably would say, well, if it says all men, yeah. well, if I'm a man, why am I enslaved? Mm -hmm. So it seemed hypocritical, and you know, I think it was quite a bitter moment for uh, many enslaved people because, you know, the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, which the author of the Declaration of Independence, who of course was Thomas Jefferson, a major slaveholder in Virginia, these rights did not seem to accrue to African Americans. And Frederick Douglass, the famous former slave and abolitionist, uh, gave a, a, what is still a very famous speech called What to the Slave is the Fourth of July, in which he makes these points about how at a time when white Americans are, you know, <clears throat> appreciating the fact that unlike their fathers, grandfathers, or great-grandfathers, they are not in, quote, slavery to Britain as colonies, um, actual enslaved people are still enslaved. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, and and just lastly there, uh, for the benefit of our non-American listeners, um, although due to social media and everything, a, a lot of people a lot of people will be aware. But could you please enlighten us on some typical traditions and celebrations seen uh, today, or basically on the fourth of July? <laughs> Uh, in a lot of areas, um, you might have a parade. Yeah. Um, that would more likely be um, a smaller town. Um, there wouldn't necessarily be a huge parade in Washington, D.C. or New York City. But a lot of more local areas, you might have you know, quite a homespun local parade with you know, the, the fire department and maybe little kids. Mm -hmm. um, in, in both large and small communities, you know, really the big thing is fireworks. Um, you know, when it gets dark, and it won't get dark in most of the United States, yeah, United States until maybe nine, ten in the evening. Um, but then, you know, there will be big, spectacular fireworks in the major cities and smaller displays in the smaller towns. Um, so lots of people will go to a parade if there is a local one, or will go see fireworks. But it's a national holiday, so you know it's a time when people might get together with friends or family. If the weather's good, uh, they might have a picnic. Um, you know, just hang out outside, eat, enjoy themselves. 
Um, and then there are a couple of cities which have quite well-known Fourth of July traditions. So, for example, in Boston, um, you know, the the, um, the Boston Pops Orchestra plays down by uh, the Charles River, and they usually have some famous special guests. Um, so, you know, it's not something that's as scripted as maybe something like Thanksgiving. There's no particular food that you would necessarily eat mm-hmm. or any ritual. Um, but it's definitely, you know, it's going to be a day of leisure and, you know, a lot of people are going to want to get together either at a friend or family member's home or in some larger public space like a park yeah, yeah. and just hang out, eat and maybe watch some fireworks. Awesome. Um, the, that's 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 all that we, we have time for today. But thank you, uh, Dr. Natalie, for, for for being with us, for enlightening us on on uh, what the Fourth of July is, the history of this as well, um, and a lot of other things which uh, which are linked with this as well. So thank you for that, and we hope you have a wonderful day ahead as well. You too. Take care. Likewise. Thank you. Right. Bye bye. Bye bye. Zero two zero eight six eight seven seven eight seven eight is the number for you. That was Dr. Natalie, who's a senior lecturer in American studies at the University of Manchester, uh, specialising uh, in the colonial U.S., the Caribbean, race, slavery, gender, and sexuality. Uh, she's also completed a book uh, about the role of horse racing in the nineteenth-century American culture. Indeed, I mean. <clears throat> um, this is, you know, it reminds me of uh, when, when we speak about Fourth um, of July and when we speak about um, you know, uh, you know, because Fourth of July it continues to hold a significance, you know, as a time for celebration, reflection, and appreciation of the American I, um, ideals of freedom, uh, democracy, and uh, unity. Um, it is a day to honor, as in just as our guest said, it's a day to honor, you know, nation's past and celebrates its its present and look forward to the future as well. And, and they, they do so in various uh, ways, whether it be just hanging out and or, you know, just appreciating um, what their country has to offer um, the citizens. On um, this reminds me that on. The first uh, of November, nineteen fifty-two, the second uh, caliph of the um, community, um, the uh, the uh, Hazrat Bashir Uddin Mahmud Ahmed, who was the second caliph of the community, he delivered the concluding address at uh, the twelfth annual ishtima of uh, the gathering of uh, Majlis Khudam al Ahmadiyya. Uh, during the address. Um, he spoke uh, about Khudam Lamdia being an uh, auxiliary organization of the youth within the community. Yeah, isn't it? indeed. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So d- during this address, he spoke about one's love for the country. And he said that, you know, if you are employed f- um, by the government, then, you know, fulfill the governmental responsibilities with utmost um, diligence, wisdom, and honesty. If conducting any other business, then work hard for it. Uh, if serving the Jamaat, then serve it with diligence and honesty. In short, if you are truly loyal and a well-wisher of your country, then fulfill every duty with this fervor and make it your objective to not fall behind anyone in uh, any field and task and to leap forward. Um, resultantly, this will benefit the country and religion as well. And uh, he, he further said that until every Ahmadi doctor or lawyer or trader or clerk, uh, landowner and labourer set this objective in their respective field, uh, it can never be claimed that they are fulfilling their national responsibility. 
So again, um, you know, Islam highlights that if a person is, you know, working, um, uh, he is working in, a, in a, whether it be a governmental job or a government government job or any job, he his he should be, you know, working to create a uh, better environment where he lives and create a, uh, uh, um, you know, be a positive impact for the country where he lives in. Yeah, most certainly. And this is actually what His Holiness, the, the worldwide head of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, um, he said, uh, but he actually called for Muslims all around the world to show true loyalty to their respective countries. On one occasion, uh, he addressed Muslims uh, in the following manner, and I quote, As citizens of any country, we Ahmadi Muslims will always show absolute love and loyalty to the state. Every Ahmadi Muslim has a desire for his chosen country to excel and should always endeavour towards this objective. Whenever a country requires its citizens to make sacrifices, the Ahmadi Muslim community will always be ready to bear such sacrifices for the sake of the nation. He actually continued uh, to say that we feel pain and distress when any nation suffers and we share the grief and pain of others. Thus, whenever any country faces difficulty, we try our utmost to alleviate their suffering. That is what the founder of Islam, the Holy Prophet Muhammad, may the peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, taught us. It was the Holy Prophet who counseled that you should put your own pain on to one side in an effort to alleviate the suffering of all of mankind. It is thus that the Ahmadiyya Muslim community is involved in spreading humility, love and kindness. And with these words of the uh, of the uh, uh, the head of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, Hazim Mirza Masoor Ahmad, may Allah strengthen his hand. We conclude today's show. Uh, thank you, who all of uh, to to everyone for for contributing for listening. Uh, thank you to Ramin Masood, Sara Ahmad, Riba Chaudhary, um, Abdul Kafi, uh, Riba Ijaz, and Anusha Nasir for researching and producing the show as well. Um, here is the news.